This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Mark and Jody Emery speak about fighting the war on marijuana. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Mark and Jody to the stage. It must be very satisfying to be the father of the marijuana liberation movement, one of the creators of that movement, one of the action figures in that movement. It must be very gratifying to see that movement come to a point of acceptance and reality. But at the same time, it must be enormously galling to find yourself hauled off into jail and see five years of your life incarcerated by crazy zealots who put you behind bars just as the rest of society is changing their mind and liberalizing their laws. So I'd like to bring on stage Mark Emery, Jody Emery. Mark spoke to us before he went to jail. Jody spoke for him while he was in jail. And now I'm pleased to see both of them here at Liberty. Welcome. If you saw me here last year when I was speaking, I was pretty rushed, I was pretty frail, I was pretty distressed because my husband had been in a U.S. federal prison as a political prisoner strictly for raising millions of dollars through marijuana seed sales to finance legalization, ballot initiatives, court cases, activist groups in the United States and around the world when no one else was doing it. Please research the Prince of Pot. But in my brief moments, I want to tell you about... Marijuana legalization being an incredibly important issue, uh, not only because of the potential with the jobs that we can create, with the lives we can save, with the suffering we can heal with medical marijuana, but we need to remember that marijuana prohibition has cost us in ways we cannot even calculate. The human cost of prohibition is so enormous, there is no number. So while we talk about let's legalize pot so we can make these green jobs and have hemp and medical marijuana, and I'm sure you're all very aware pot is popular, it's in the news, it's worth billions and trillions of dollars, but we also have prohibition which costs us, you, the taxpayers, trillions of dollars in policing and courts and prisons and arrests and tearing families apart. And while Mark was in prison, 
And I was speaking, and I was being an activist, being in the media, campaigning in Washington State, helping make it legal in whatever ways we can. Um, I was in the prison. I went down every other weekend to visit Mark in Mississippi in a federal prison, and it broke my heart to see the families torn apart. These little children, their fathers, their families, the parents visiting. There is no price tag on that kind of human suffering, the lost potential, the destruction of families where mothers become single mothers trying to support their children and their husband in prison, and that is not an easy task, and I am very fortunate. I was so lucky to have such an easy time of it, having a recognized husband, a movement behind us, supporters from all angles, and to know that we are right and we are winning and that the war on marijuana will end but it's not over yet. So while you're here talking to venture capitalists and you're reading the newspapers about millions of dollars of money and all this great stuff, just please remember that people are still being arrested today, right now, going to prison. Families are still being torn apart. There is a human cost of keeping marijuana illegal. There's a civil liberties violation going on every single day. And while we move forward to the great potential and the jobs and everything wonderful of legalization, we must remember that there were lives lost and a massive price paid and that until no one ever goes to prison again for pot, we are not done this job. No one should ever go to prison for a peaceful activity, but my husband did. He changed the world in major ways, and I'm so proud to welcome him home, the Prince of Pot, Mark Emery, my husband. It's nice stuff to be thought of as a leader of a liberation movement. Civil disobedience for me was a matter of breaking the law openly, transparently. In fact, I bought advertisements usually in the daily paper or whatever city I was going to or where I was doing this. And I would tell them, I'm going to break this law. It's a bad law. It should be broken. It should be broken publicly. I'm breaking it. I want to be arrested so I can go before a judge and explain that it's a bad law. Well, most times I lost that argument with the judge. And they said, well, that is the law, though. And so I've been arrested before my latest five-year sentence that I just recently completed in the United States. I was arrested 28 times for marijuana violations, some very obscure ones too, like promoting vaporizers and strange laws I didn't even know existed. And I was jailed 23 times, uh, and that was in Canada for my civil disobedience. Coming up after the break. The prosecutor who indicted me, John McKay, the district attorney of Western Washington, later decided that was the wrong thing to do, prohibition, and he decided to write the law that legalized marijuana in Washington State and did press conferences with Jody together while I was in prison advocating legalization in both Washington State and British Columbia. We win. <laughs> this episode of Idea City on the Air is brought to you by Zoomer Magazine. We'll be back in a moment with more from Mark and Jody Emery. For more information about Idea City or to watch hundreds of talks online, go to ideacity.ca. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Mark and Jody Emery speak about fighting the war on marijuana. In the United States, and I'm going to focus on that, uh, what it's like being in a U.S. prison system. I went to six different prisons in the United States, and before I proceed further, I want to give a long-delayed valentine to my wife, Jody, because uh, candidly, even though I went to jail and I was proud of doing it and I had good reasons for doing it, the fact is it's very draining on everybody around you. And consequently, in order to keep me just 
reasonably comfortable in prison. It's extremely expensive, and I drained every dime out of every cent she earned. Uh, I don't know if that's possible, dime every cent, but I took up every bit of money that was possible in order to stay alive in prison. And I basically made her life very difficult. I damaged our businesses by sucking up so much money. Just to give you an example, in a US prison system, they have email, which is a wonderful thing. And I was able to write notes to her. Not internet, by the way, just email. Standard basic AOL 1995 email. And at 1995 prices, it was $3 an hour. But just to let you know, in just under five years, it cost $18,000 of Jody's money, because I had none just to get emails from me over that four and a half years. It cost $15,000 so I could call her for 10 minutes a day over four and a half years. My food bills ran into the tens of thousands of dollars, and you can only spend $320 a month on food, but over five years, that's $15,000. But the most important thing she did, and it's my weakness that I wanted it, that I was so needy, is she came to visit me 81 times while I was in prison. And I was... And I was far, far away. I was 2,000 miles, 3,500 kilometers most of the time, either in southeast Georgia near Jacksonville at the other end of the continent, or in Mississippi for three years, which is pretty far away. She visited me 81 times. That was 164 days. She'd sit beside me for six hours, and we'd try and surreptitiously hold hands, because oftentimes that was even prohibited. And there's no other physical contact that's allowed or possible. But she spent... 164 days sitting beside me in that five years, and that's five and a half years of her life. But not only that, it took a whole day to travel to see me, 13 to 14 hours, and it took 13 to 14 hours to come home on. So she spent also 165 days traveling to see me in that time, another five and a half months of her life. So a total of 11 months of her life from beginning end that morning to that night was spent either visiting me, traveling to visit me, or actually visiting me. So, Jody, I've never really said thank you. I really haven't. It's terrible that 10 months has gone by and I've never publicly thanked you. But without your business and without your acumen and without your dedication and without your tireless, tireless devotion, I would not have made it. Now that having been said, it's a very expensive proposition to go to, to prison, and I didn't live in any luxury in any way whatsoever. But I'll tell you some things that are true and aren't true about the US prison system. First of all, and also I want to point out that almost all our old enemies, every last one of them now, are on our side. The mayor who swore he would drive me out of town and have me arrested, he did have me arrested four times, is now an advocate for legalization. The drug uh, squad, Kashid in Vancouver, who was head of the drug squad, who busted me, is now working for medical marijuana corporations. The premier of the province of British Columbia, Mike Harcourt, who was premier when I was first arrested, uh, is now working also for a medical marijuana corporation. The prosecutor who indicted me, John McKay, the district attorney of Western Washington, later decided that was the wrong thing to do, prohibition, and he decided to write the law that legalized marijuana in Washington State and did press conferences with Jody together while I was in prison advocating legalization in both Washington State and British Columbia. We win. So we are we're clearly winning, and it's one of the reasons I have no bitter or negative feelings about any of my prison time. By the way, I had some many epiphanies when I was in Canadian prisons too. I've been arrested and jailed in almost every province and certainly 18 or so cities, 
including almost everyone that we can name that's a major city in Canada, I've been arrested for marijuana in that city, deliberately smoking a bong in front of a police station oftentimes, but uh, I, I spent three months in Saskatoon Correctional, which is their prison there, just for passing one joint, of which nobody ever saw, it's only someone said I passed a joint, and you can get three months for that in Canada, only in 2004. Coming up after the break. And ultimately when I was arrested in 2005, the DEA did not cite my crime, which was merely selling seeds. They did say I was one of the top 50 most wanted in the world, that the Attorney General called me the 46th most dangerous man on the planet. This episode of Idea City on the Air is brought to you by Zoomer Magazine. We'll be back in a moment with more from Mark and Jody Emery. Idea City is a program of talks about the world's biggest ideas, featuring the world's smartest people. For more information about the three-day Idea City live conference or to watch hundreds of talks online, go to ideacity.ca. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Mark and Jody Emery speak about fighting the war on marijuana. I like to think that in a lot of ways, uh, Idea City's been very instrumental in my law-breaking. After I spoke here in 2003, uh, at a spur-of-the-moment thing, I said, I'm going to go across Canada, I'm going to smoke a bong in front of police stations, I'm going to point out that this law is wrong, unjust, immoral, and I went right out the next day. Moses said, don't do it while Idea City is on, please wait till Saturday. And I went and smoked out in front of the Toronto police station here. I did not get arrested, but then subsequently I got arrested in Winnipeg and Saskatoon, Regina, and many cities across Canada to try and make my point, which has finally surfaced now in an intellectual wave going all across the planet, that we should legalize marijuana, reconsider the drug war, reconsider the terrible harms the drug war has done. In prison, by the way, first thing uh, was people were saying, oh, I hope you don't get raped. Rape does not really exist in the federal prison system that I saw. I was there four and a half years and four in six different kinds of prison, every different kinds of prison, immigrant prison, private prisons, maximum security detention centers, massive warehouses that just hold people until they can find some place for you, and then finally a federal bureau of prison in, in Mississippi. And actually, sexual predation, in my experience, doesn't exist in federal prisons, so that's good news. They've solved that, and in a lot of ways, prisons are rationally run. I began to see the point of view of the prisoners as well as the prison officials. I had a lot of opportunity to talk with them and I came along and I was sympathetic to everything in a way except the long outrageous sentences that people in the United States get for drugs and almost every kind of crime. They send people away for a long, long time in the United States and it's an example we should never emulate. That having been said, I kind of miss a lot of it because, you know, I'm struggling out here now. I drained all the money from Jody. I'm paying the consequences of my action. It's a struggle to survive economically. The government garnishes all my money. They seize anything that goes into a bank account because of what I did in 2001, which was I financed uh, 79 candidates in British Columbia for a fabulous election campaign, the BC Marijuana Party campaign. And in order to give $160,000 that came from my seed business, I raised $5 million and gave it all away. That's one of the things about being transparent when you're breaking the law. You can't appear to benefit by it personally. So all that money had to be given away, and it went away for good purposes. One of the things I did all over the world was finance political parties in Israel, in Poland. Anywhere somebody was advocating legalization, I tried to finance that. We bought full-page ads in New Zealand in 1999 to advocate they vote for the Marijuana Party of New Zealand. I was amazed I could do this. Eventually, I started financing ballot initiatives in the United States, in Washington, D.C., in Colorado, in Arizona, in Alaska. 
and giving millions of dollars to these things and seeing them come to fabulous fruition. And ultimately, when I was arrested in 2005, the DEA did not cite my crime, which was merely selling seeds. They did say I was one of the top 50 most wanted in the world, that the Attorney General had called me the 46th most dangerous man on the planet. And they identified that I gave money to all these legalization groups, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I had a propagandist magazine, which to this day always amazes me that the powerful U.S. government would say my little magazine, Cannabis Culture, was a propagandist magazine. So I knew I was on the right track, and I knew I was going to go to jail. And I even predicted that in 2001 when I was here. I said, one day they're going to come and get me because I'm getting too successful at this. This is going to change the world, and I'm confident it's going to change the world, and there's a price to pay for that. And indeed, I have paid that price, but it turned out to be different than what I thought. First of all, I thought it was wrong that Canadians get sent to private prisons, immigrant prisons in the United States when they're sentenced. They don't go to where Americans go. They go to a far cut-rate, bad prison run by private companies like Geo Group or Corrections Corporation of America. And they languish in there, generally, Canadians. And they're one of, like, uh, there were 15 Canadians, and then there were 150 Caribbeans, and then there were, like, 2,500 people from all the cartels in Latin America. I never heard, really, an unkind word said to me in four and a half years in prison. It's quite shocking, but... I went to these six different prisons and I found myself very useful, very in demand. When I was at uh, an immigrant prison, we had 2,500 inmates crammed into one place and it was a very small place and they were almost all from Mexico and Latin America. They, many of them didn't even speak English. And yet to pro there are no lawyers in a prison. You have to come up with your own legal defenses and your own work. And so I became the jailhouse lawyer. I had lineups every day of people wanting me to do their divorce papers, their child custody papers, their grievances. I would be filling them out. Someone had to, who both understood English and also could compose in English their grievances, their requests, their legal things. And I did that until it became very effective and I started getting people fired in that prison and then they put me on trash detail. Coming up after the break. Mark is incredibly optimistic. He's done so much for the world. But prison is cruel. Prison is cruel. Solitary confinement locked in a box the size of that bathroom for 23 hours a day is no way to treat a human being. You're listening to Idea City on the Air, brought to you by Zoomer Magazine. We'll be back in a moment with more from Mark and Jody Emery. Get the latest idealist news, presenter information, and watch hundreds of talks at ideacity.ca. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. We now conclude Mark and Jody Emery's talk on fighting the war on marijuana. I got 7,500 letters sent to me when I was in prison from individuals. One man, a man who never met me, rewrote me first when I first got in. He says, I've decided to make you my human rights project. I'm going to write you every day until you get out of prison. And indeed he did for four and a half years. I would get letters that say, oh, it must be horrible in there. It must be terrible in there. And I would have to write back patiently. I wrote 2,000 people eventually out of the 7,500. It would take me about 90 minutes to two hours a day to write them an eight or nine page letter. I thought I couldn't just write them a thank you. It seemed insincere. So I'd write them these big long letters to everybody, which a lot of people regard as collectible, and that's so nice. But one of the things <laughs> I said to people is it's not horrible in here. I'm very busy. I'm very active. I'm busy helping lots of people. You would be pleased with what I'm doing and I'm not suffering. So please don't think that. I to say that almost every letter. Because people say, I can only imagine how terrible it is. And I said, please don't imagine how terrible it is. 
Please think of me like you always thought of me, working hard, doing what I want to do. And I'll tell you, I read a book every 10 days. I learned to play bass guitar. I'm telling you, prison is filled with fabulous musicians. Unfortunately, many of them have alcohol or methamphetamine problems. So they end up in prison for long times and they're outstanding. And they took a liking to me because I like musicians. I, I, I'd never picked up an instrument in my life and they taught me how to play bass guitar. I know. Prison is a bad place for most people, but for me, I had lots of epiphanies there. You've got to learn to see both sides of every question sometimes. And one day, a fellow came back to Saskatoon and he said, I said, where have you been? He said, I just saw my father at the morgue. And I said, really? He said, yeah, well, his funeral's up in Larange, which is eight miles. By the way, when I was in Saskatoon Correctional, everyone else was native. I was pretty well the only white person in that prison. And uh, so he said, uh, they're not going to pay for me to go see his funeral, so I saw him at the morgue. I said, really? And I said, how was that? He says, well, I never knew my father well, but it was uncomfortable because I was all in chains. And uh, one thing I will tell you is everywhere you move in, in the U.S. prison, you're in chains. I was constantly chained around my belly, through my hands, and then leg irons, which do hurt when you walk because they're tight and anything you go up and down steps. Anyway, um, this fellow said, um, I felt uncomfortable, but... He said, that's the way they do it. I said, man, that is so unjust, going to see your father at the morgue and you're all chained up. I said, that's ridiculous. I said, who'd run away from a situation like that? And there was this long pause. He said, well, up to three months ago, that was true. But then they took a guy to his father's funeral and he ran away. And I said, really, you're kidding? He says, yeah, so ever since then, we've been chained up. And then I went to the director of the prison and I said, how do you get these rules, some of which seem to me absurd? And he says, Mark, this prison opened in 1976, and we had no rules. And for every situation that occurred where we didn't have a rule, we had to develop a rule. So all the rules you see that sometimes exasperate you arose because there was a requirement for a rule in order to keep the safety of this place. And I found that was generally true. So many absurd rules. Mark is incredibly optimistic. He's done so much for the world. But prison is cruel. Prison is cruel. Solitary confinement locked in a box the size of that bathroom for 23 hours a day is no way to treat a human being. So please, when you think of prison, please think that if anyone has done harm to others, harming them in return is no solution. Well, I'm proud to know these two, and I'm proud of the fact that a tiny little contribution that we made at Idea City was years ago endorsing Mark's work and keeping his story alive until we see him now free. Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.